So, Iloka cameras? These are not the best-known brand of cameras but Iloka were quite prolific for some years. The Iloka cameras are clearly designed to a price but are quite well made given the price restriction. The 1954 British journal Photographic Almanac has this camera advertised as costing pound 1536 plus pound 4188 purchase tax giving a retail price of pound 222, not a cheap camera. Lens, Illiter. Focal length, 45mm. Apertures, f 35 to f 22 Focus range, 3 feet to infinity. Lens fitting, fixed. Shutter, Pronter S. Speeds, 1 second to 1 300th of a second. Flash, PC connector. Film size, 35mm. This is my second Iloka. My other Iloka is also an Iloka Quick but, in that case, the Iloka Quick B with a built-in rangefinder. There were other Quick models, the quickest springs to mind. This camera is entirely made from metal, the only plastic that I can find is the take-up spool. The camera measures 123 by 76 by 63 millimeters and weighs 455 grams. The body is made from an aluminium alloy and is covered with a plasticky leatherette. The front is further decorated with five strips of aluminium, four at the top and one at the bottom. The top plate is made from burnished aluminium. On the right of the top plate is the film advance knob. This camera was made at the point that advanced knobs were being replaced with advanced levers but not yet at the bottom end of the market. The top of this film advanced knob has the frame counter. This counts up from 0 to 39 and needs to be set to 0 by hand when loading a new film. The counter on my camera does not work without film in the camera. The center portion of the top plate is raised in two steps. The first step houses a barnack type accessory shoe, no flash contacts at this date. In front of the accessory shoe is the shutter release button. This is made from plated brass and is threaded for a standard cable release. Left of the accessory shoe, on the higher raised portion of the top plate, is the legend Jloka Quick stamped in the metal. The J in the name is really a German capital I rather than an English J. Inside this higher raised portion of the top plate is the viewfinder. This is small as was usual in the first half of the 1950s. The eyepiece measures 5mm diameter and the window on the front is 11 by 7mm. This size is usable but not easy to use, particularly if you wear glasses. This is a reverse Galilean finder which means that the image in the viewfinder is smaller than direct vision. As this is essentially a miniature telescope, there is no focus screen and there is no information in the viewfinder. Left of the viewfinder, the top plate is again lower. This lower portion has the rewind knob. Again, at this age, it is just a knob and not the ubiquitous folding crank that came in during the late 1950s. In the center of the rewind knob is a memo for the type of film in use. There are three options here, color positive, color negative or film speed. Film speeds are predominantly in the German DIN system with American ASA speeds as an addition in smaller type. Speeds are from 14 tenths of a degree DIN to 24 tenths of a degree DIN or 25 ASA to 200 ASA. In the early 1950s, 24 DIN 200 ASA was an unusually fast film, Ilford's FP4 125 ASA was marketed as a fast film, for our younger readers, ASA is functionally the same as ISO speeds. The only thing on the front of the camera is the shutter lens assembly. This is a Gautier Pronter S shutter, the S signifying that the shutter is synchronized for flash. Given the date of the camera and the price point, 
I would assume that this shutter is synchronized for flash bulbs rather than electronic flash, but see later. Shutter speeds are the older sequence of 1 half, 1 fifth, 1 tenth, 1 25, 1 50, 1 one hundredth and 1 three hundredth of a seconds. Moving from one speed to the next sometimes gives a full stop change in exposure and sometimes doesn't. There is also the B setting. Godier made several versions of the Pronter S. This version is cocked internally by the film advance mechanism. Some Pronter S shutters needed manual cocking. What is different to any other Pronter S shutters that I have seen is that when the shutter is cocked, a red flag is raised at the top of the shutter housing. This is actually quite useful if you only use the camera occasionally. Shutter speeds are set by a serrated ring at the front of the shutter housing. There is an aperture setting behind the shutter speed ring. Available apertures are from f/3.5 to f/22, which is a good, usable range for a non-hobbyist photographer. These are set by a sliding pointer on the top of the shutter housing. Also on the top of the shutter housing is a PC connector for flash. The S in the name Pronter S indicates that the shutter is synchronized for flash. No indication is given on the camera as to whether this is for bulbs or electronic flash. It could be for both, flash bulbs requiring a slow shutter speed to allow the bulb to burn to maximum brightness while the shutter is still open, electronic flash being usable at all shutter speeds, this is the big advantage of leaf shutters over focal plane shutters. At the bottom of the shutter housing there is a red lever. Even though this is a Pronter S shutter and not a Pronter SV, there is a self-timer function, the equals for law fork which is German for self-timer. The standard advice is to never use these self-timers as they are the weakest part of the mechanism and when they fail, the shutter will be rendered useless. With this camera, the self-timer is close to non-functional and needed to be helped on its way with my finger. The lens is marked as being an Iloka Illiter. The font used uses the long-form capital I which looks for all the world like a capital J. I have been unable to find out anything about this lens. I would assume that Iloka bought in a lens from one of the many German lens makers and gave it their own name, this was quite usual in the camera industry. At this price point, I am certain that it will be a triplet. The lens bezel has a red V to denote that the lens is coated. In the early 1950s on a cheap ins, this is probably just coated on the one exterior surface. The lens is front self-focusing, the rear element of the lens clearly does not move with the focus ring. The focus range is from about 2.5 feet to infinity, this is an export camera and uses the British Imperial unit of distance. The closest marked distance on the focus scale is 3 feet but the lens moves significantly beyond this. The focal length of the lens is 45 mm which is normal for 35 mm photography. The base has two items on it. Towards the right hand end is a tripod boss. This is well off-center which is not ideal but I doubt many users of this camera ever used a tripod. At this age, this will be a 1 quarter inch Whitworth thread, the modern ISO tripod thread of 1 quarter inch UNC was still 20 years in the future. Between the tripod boss and the end of the camera is a large, 15mm diameter, chrome button. This is the release to allow the film to be rewound, it needs to be pressed in the entire time that the film is being rewound. The back of the camera is plain apart from the remains of a transfer indicating that the camera was originally sold by Wallace Heaton of London. The two ends of the camera are similarly unadorned. This poses the question of how to get inside the camera. There is no visible catch on either end not the base. The Japanese trick of pulling up the rewind knob does nothing. In the absence of the printed manual, this is a real conundrum. However, 
I have a technique for solving problems with old cameras and that is to continuously fiddle with every part of the camera until it finally does what I want. It turns out that the rewind knob has three positions, normal, rewind and open. This does not work in the same way as Japanese cameras by merely pulling up on the rewind knob but when the knob is pulled up to its fullest extent, a slight clockwise turn against a fairly strong spring will cause the left-hand edge of the back to spring open. The right-hand edge is also held in place by a sprung edge and just needs to be pulled out. The back comes away in one piece, no hinge, and is small enough to fit into a pocket while manipulating the film. The top left corner of the back has a small red dot which matches a red dot on the camera body to indicate the correct orientation dot of the back when refitting it. Refitting the back is easy. Loosely put the back in position, with the two red dots together, and press firmly. Both ends of the back will snap into the sprung ends of the camera body. The removable back is made from die-cast aluminium alloy with significant flanges around the sides to keep the joints light tight, no cheap, messy, Japanese foam light seals here. In the middle of the back is a respectably sized pressure plate to keep the film flat over the film gate. Inside the camera is much like many other German viewfinder cameras. There is a chamber on the left for the film cassette, no electrical contacts here as DX coding is still over 20 years in the future. The film gate is central with just enough metal around the gate to support the film. Above the film gate is a sprocket wheel, it takes the place of the more usual sprocket shaft and counts the number of sprocket holes in the film that pass as the film is advanced, 8 sprocket holes equals 1 frame of film. Below the film gate is a sprung pin. It took me a while to work out what this pin does. It has no function as far as using the camera is concerned. What it in fact does is push the back out when the left hand end is released. Next to this pin is the camera's serial number. On the right is the take-up spool. This is nice and large which means that it will not impart much curl to the film. The take-up spool has one solitary slot to take the film leader. This is a very tight fit and I found it difficult to get the film leader into the slot. On the far right, the end is sprung the same as the left hand end. 